What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. Welcome to the Faith Over Fiat podcast, conversations at the intersection of faith and Bitcoin. We believe in the power of freedom, financially and spiritually. Hey everyone, this is Adam, also known as Hoddleberry, and I'm here with Clark Moody for another episode of Faith Over Fiat. Clark, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. So I know you because of your dashboard. Like that's when I think of Clark Moody, I think of the Clark Moody dashboard. And that's uh, that's been going probably for at least four years, because I think four or five years, because I've been aware of it that long. And that's approximately I've been in Bitcoin around between five and six years. So I, I think mm-hmm. h- how long have you had this thing, this thing going? It's been going a while. Um, I really wanted to kick it off at the time of the fork war. And uh, I was going to all these different websites looking for one number per site. And, you know, you're going to one looking for UASF signaling counts and you're looking for another one, your block sizes and minor signaling and all this stuff. And so with the dashboard, I thought, yes, let's bring it all into one page so I don't have to go anywhere. And I just want every single stat from the entire Bitcoin ecosystem blinking and flashing on one single screen all the time. And so that's what I set out to build. So it was after the after the fork wars of 2017 would have been when I started work on it. So it might have launched in 18 or 19. Um, but again, you know, time there's a Bitcoin has a time dilation effect where it can seem like five or six years, but it's only, you know, a month or two of yeah. real time. So it's interesting you mentioned the fork wars and I was that was I was a young Bitcoiner with that kind of stuff was going on, like, um, you know, two, uh, 2x, whatever, um, SegWit. Um, <clears throat> and for people who are coming into Bitcoin in the last year or two, and maybe they're Christians and so, or they're religious and they they decided to listen to this podcast. And so they, they're coming at it, not from like a technical side or from a, uh, a Bitcoiner side, just maybe recap real quick, like what some of the fork war issues were and why maybe it was important. And then we'll kind of get back into the, the real, <laughs> the real reason why people are here. Yeah. Yeah. The premise was that for Bitcoin to work and scale, we need bigger blocks. So each Bitcoin block holds a limited number of transactions. And if we want to increase the usage of Bitcoin and the throughput of Bitcoin, we need to bump the block size limit so that we can put more transactions through the network. And uh, that kind of in order to, in order to increase the block size, you have to hard fork Bitcoin, and a hard fork means that everybody has to upgrade all of their nodes, or they're going to get kicked off the network. So it's kind of this forcing function moment. And the alternative proposal was SegWit, which, among other things, paved the way for the Lightning Network, which we see now as um, really exploding and working as a payments layer whereas the blockchain is a settlement layer. So it kind of set the stage for, for the Lightning Network and what we see now. And the thing, the, the, notable, the notable fact about the fork war is that there was a consortium of all of the biggest businesses in Bitcoin, a huge number of miners. All of these big names in Bitcoin were all on the SegWit2x side saying, yeah, we'll put in SegWit, but we have to do a block size increase with it in order to accept it. 
and that that side failed. So um, it shows it, it proved that even the biggest insiders and the biggest players can't really change Bitcoin to fit their to fit their whims and, and their needs. Um, they have to adapt. Yeah, Zen. I want to point out that this isn't like a like a church split. <laughs> you know, this right. is this. I mean, for Bitcoin purists, we would kind of almost consider this to be heresy. You know, the the idea that you can uh, arbitrarily, or maybe not arbitrarily, but uh, needlessly increase the block size, um, make very significant changes, radical changes to Bitcoin. Um, uh, without the consensus of the entire network is, is just not a, not a great way to go. So uh, yeah, kind of like a church split, the heretics went off into Bcash and then uh, BSV and all, all, all those. Well, other- okay. If you want to put it in those terms, it could have been proposed as an amicable split from the beginning. Right. Hey, we, the consortium of the biggest businesses in Bitcoin, in order to further our interests, we're going to be having an orderly fork of Bitcoin that ups the block size limit so that we stop getting support tickets, you know, or whatever their reasoning is, right? And they could have done that, but it became contentious because they wanted to force everyone into the one path. But usually a church split, well, not usually, oftentimes there's a good reason. You know, there's a reason why we have denominations and well-meaning people and believers can be belong to many of the dom- denominations that we would con- still consider them to be Christian, right? Right. And so they could have done a they could have done an amicable split, but they wanted to force a hard fork on everybody else, and so that's why the Bitcoin uh, network fought, fought back, and won. Yeah, and uh, so bringing this back to the the, the faith aspect, um, you've been not shy about sharing the fact that you're a Christian on Twitter. Um, on your profiles and things like that. I really appreciate that. Um, there, there are many Christian Bitcoiners that I found, um, others that are faith um, forward, I would say, but they're not Christians. And so um, when I started this podcast, I was thinking about and looking for people who were willing to share their stories. And so maybe share a little bit about your background. Like how did you come to faith in Jesus? What's your What's your story there? And maybe talk a little bit about your your background in Bitcoin. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian home, um, went to church all my life, you know, knew knew all the facts about Jesus, but didn't really say make the faith my own until sometime in my early, early 20s or so. Um, and, uh, you know, I belong to Southern Baptist Church. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Jesus changes your life, right? So you have you have the person the person you are before and the person you are after, and those people are different. Yeah, I mean, not to be uh, uh, impious, but it's like you remember your life before Jesus. You also remember your life before Bitcoin, and then after Bitcoin too. <laughs> for a lot of people, we're not. I'm not trying to be idolatrous, but but that that seems to happen for people. They they uh, they they get hold of the pearl of great price, or you know. They, they find the treasure in the field and they sell all they have and kind of go all, all out for it. But um, I, th- I think the the common theme that I see with people who who are believers in Christ, follow the Bible and its teachings and and really are, are concerned about being good, um, good humans, but also good Bitcoin citizens. They, they bring a lot of uh, ethics 
to Bitcoin and they, mm. they see things through a particular lens. Um, as many are probably aware, there's lots of scams in crypto, so-called. Uh, there's a lot of bad actors in the space. There's a lot of shenanigans that go on. Um, but it's nice to see people who who have who have faith and have morals and have uh, kind of a, a compass there. Um, so it, it, do you think, is in your opinion, do you think Bitcoin is uh, a, a biblical or valid, a biblically valid form of money? Yeah, I think so. I mean, throughout the Bible, gold and silver were money. Um, and even you, you could see how they maintain their value all the way through scripture. You know, Abraham does some sort of transaction in a certain number of pieces of gold and then or silver or something. And, you know, they're doing it all through the Bible. And um, it's not, it's not until really the invention of paper money that you start to have problems with uh, money and banking. Right. And so um, you have, you have the dishonesty of fractional reserve and that leads to all of the, all of the problems that we see. So it's, you know, when, when the fiduciary media circles and circulates instead of the, gold and silver, you know, the paper notes circulate instead of gold and silver, then the bank takes the opportunity to print more and that becomes dishonest. Right. So, you know, uh, um, Bitcoin, the fiduciary media don't circulate in place of Bitcoin. There's no, there's no Bitcoin credits that people accept in payment. People want lightning or they want on chain. And that's the real thing. Um, and it can't it can't be corrupted, right? Because it's you can't you can't trick cryptography. You know something something within the structure of the universe means that you have elliptic curve math that keeps things secure, right? And we just so happen to live in that universe. So there's nothing you can do to change that, right? I like the idea of you're saying elliptic curve math, and like I think since God made math, God mm -hmm. is the author of logic, God, you know, the Bible says that Jesus was the logos or the logic or the, like the wisdom, yeah. um, math and the laws of the universe all flow from that. So when I see, when I see the Bible talking about like, you know, some men trust in horses and some men trust in chariots, we will trust the name of our God. So I see horses, gold and silver, like analog as, you know, no one would trust in, in the, the analog kind of versions, like the the element the the, the elementary kind of um, natural things, um, <clears throat> we have the internal combustion engine, we have electricity, we have indoor plumbing. Uh, in, in my opinion, Bitcoin is uh, is based on it's still based on nature, kind of like gold and silver were. Like you can't mm. extract more gold and silver out of the ground easily without an intense amount of cost. Bitcoin is, is essentially the perfection of that just done with math. And, right. uh, and so that's why I think it's, it's a real, it's a biblically valid form of money. Even if you, you know, you have a lot of Christians who are gold bugs who are like, well, if it's not gold and silver, it's not real money. Cause that's the money that God created or whatever. Hmm. Um, but all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, people use different things as money. They used ephahs of, and hens of wheat and, and wine and grain and all these types of things. Livestock. So, yeah, lives, yeah, exactly. 
and people would tithe on their livestock. Um, and, and God accepted those, those types of things. So, um, I was just telling somebody I'm, I'm planning on starting to tithe in Bitcoin. I've, uh-huh. I've already started, I've already started putting it, aw- it aside, but uh, I've come to the point now, I'm just going to give it to my church and they're going to deal with it. Uh-huh. Thoughts, thoughts on tithing in Bitcoin. Well, eventually we'll all be doing it right. Once it, once uh, it takes over as money, um, it, it really is, there, there's this question about whether churches should have an investment portfolio, right? Because Bitcoin right now is volatile, volatile enough that you would consider it some sort of investment portfolio, unless it's completely a totally separate account that's put away for a long, long-term duration, right? Think of it more as some sort of savings, long-term savings vehicle as far as a church goes. You know, because you could say, well, if a church has a has a stock portfolio that's kicking off dividends, you could you could make the argument that, well, now that now the focus of the financial people in the church is going to be more on managing their portfolio, right? And if it's kicking off enough dividends that it reduces the need for the members of the of the body to tithe, then it's kind of letting them shirk their responsibilities, you know, financially to the church. Um, there's this weird, there's this gra- the gradually then suddenly, right? There's this weird time when Bitcoin isn't the widely circulating money. And I think there will be a time when it is, and then you'll be tithing in that. But from here to there, it, it is a, it is a weird time. And maybe early adopter churches will come out really strong on the backside, you know, and can launch, uh, launch all the soup kitchens and, and social programs that society will need when the state apparatus uh, collapses. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> but, so, but that. That's an interesting point though, about like churches having endowments or sitting on big hordes of cash. Um, that, that always has not sat well with me. I've always belonged to churches that were smaller, um, not mega churches, ones that were people were, you know, you're meeting in warehouses, you're meeting in strip malls. Uh, my church now bought bought a, an old building, an, an old church building, mm-hmm. and it's, it's very nice, but, you know, it holds 175 people at the max or whatever. And, uh, but it's a traditional kind of church. But it, it's, it's almost like, you know, talking about the, the Bitcoin um, maxim about time preference, right? Um, should Christians be... Uh, when when churches would get Bitcoin, should they be using it right away? Should they be saving it for a rainy day? You know, like that. Those are types of things that I think uh, I haven't really heard really good, clear answers on yet, and I'm still really looking for them. Especially, I'm I've I mentioned this before to other people. I'm an elder in a church, and so I have direct control over my church's finances, um, along with other people. But yeah, it, it's it, it's very hard for. Cause I'm super bullish, right? But the other elders are not super bullish. I've, I've orange pilled them to an extent, but like they're not in, they're not on Bitcoin Twitter all day and getting the hopium and, and, right, right. and breathing it in the way that I am and, um, and experiencing it that way. So yeah, I don't know what the right answer is to that. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it is just a, you know, wait and see, um, wait till the, wait till the, the tides shift. Um, you know, there, there are lots of spiritual principles or rather 
there are there are spiritual principles that could apply to the space, right? You mentioned scammers, and uh, the verse comes to mind. You know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Right, like in in the in the secular world, the hedge fund manager that prints the biggest returns was right. They're smart, you know, they survive. Right. But what did they have to do to get there? And so there's a there's a uh, a lesson about yeah you, the, you know storing up treasures in heaven versus on earth, but also the idea of like the means are important, you know. If, if your church was accepting tithe from someone who was operating some sort of, you know, drug dealing operation and you know, they are, and they know they are. And everybody's like, yeah, just keep that money coming. We don't care where it comes from. I might have a problem with that. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's uh, ill gotten gain, you know? Um, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, similarities to the Bitcoin movement and a religious movement, right? You have you have the true believers, the sacred texts, the holy prophet, you know, the orthodoxy, the heresy, um, uh, the priest, the priesthood, you know, the, the annual conventions. Yeah, you've got the the uh, the uh, the holy convocation, right? The Day of Atonement, you know, like you have a proof of keys day is like the ceremony, you know, all of these things that you that you, you need um, in any sort of mass movement. There's lots of similarities. Uh, you have the evangelists, you know, the missionaries planting planting embassy, Bitcoin embassies in other countries, right? Uh, but I do I do think that we make a mistake by tying it too closely together with Christianity and saying Bitcoin is God's money or something like that. You know, I think that's a that's a bridge too far. You could say you could be thankful for it. You could say, yeah, you know, God created math and math gave us Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, thanks be to God. But I don't think you, you should say this is this is the per, this, you know, it came it went from God to Satoshi to us. I, you know, I don't think you would you would uh, you could you could make that claim. But you could you could say, well, all of the all of the strategies that you use to bootstrap and grow a religious movement are similar strategies that you can take growing the Bitcoin movement, you know, so then I guess we can argue about, well, you know, the toxic maximalist trope is kind of like the, um, the purest, the, the, you know, the orthodoxy, um, of the faith. Right. And, and, uh, you can argue about whether that's true or not. Right. And you can say, does that have a place? And then you see on Twitter, there's a lot of, you know, additional, like beef, um, selling all your worldly possessions to acquire more Bitcoin, you know, all of this other stuff that comes in. Shares, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, things like that. And I think for the most part, it's all memes, but then other people take it too seriously, you know, so. um, Yeah, Uh, yeah, so uh, having Bitcoin be an idol or or, uh, for you or me, uh, I have definitely started to feel that pull a little bit. Um, you know, I got into Bitcoin specifically because I thought it was an interesting investment thesis. I didn't understand. I didn't really even understand sound money so much. Uh, I, I was involved in like gold and silver a little bit, 
but I didn't really like, I wasn't, I, I wasn't reading. I wasn't even, I, I wouldn't consider myself a very strong libertarian at that time. Um, I, I consider myself a minarchist libertarian now, but like very strongly minarchist. Um, and I think for for some Christians or for maybe I'll confess here myself, like I, I have felt the pull toward like, you know, this is the one thing that's going to prevent tyranny and, and promote liberty mm-hmm. and spread the gospel like the like the Gutenberg's printing press. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I need to check myself in that in that way. However, there are some really cool things that I think that when you when you look at Bitcoin as a protocol, the way it operates, the way that it, it functions alongside of biblical principles like, um, you know, equal weights and measures, those type of principles, um, the way that it it uh, accords with the idea of like lending money and mm-hmm. uh, how kind of messed up it's been in, in our society and the way that the government and the Federal Reserve system and central bank systems uh, promote fractional reserve banking and all these things. So, so yeah, I, I, it's almost like, it's almost like you're, you're, you're sitting back and you're, you're marveling it, in my opinion, like it, this is part of God's creation, or at least this is something that God has allowed us to discover. And I'm like looking at it as a beautiful thing. And now let's not make that beautiful thing, the idol and worship that thing. Right. You know, um, everyone wants to live in a world ruled by a righteous king. Everyone has the desire to see justice done. Everyone has an innate sense of fairness and righteousness or right, rightness that, that think they, they hate to see injustice, right? True injustice. Many people see additional injustice. That's not, you know, really there, but true injustice rubs most people the wrong way. And so I think that that that's kind of the, the, the maybe the, the siren song of Bitcoin is that, hey, here is a mathematical truth that can't be it's immune to corruption because it's based on math. And then the proof of work mining is based on energy. So it's like fundamental properties of the universe come together for this thing. Um, and, and you could say, well, if we lived in that world, it would fix all these problems. You know, the Bitcoin fixes this meme, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty strong adherent uh, to that to that line of thinking that uh, even ever so slightly, if you take away the government's monopoly on the printing press, it really does change everything. And so there is a call. There is a call, especially to Christians that want to see morality upheld. You know, fraud is is immoral, sinful, e- evil and illegal, you know, Um they want to see systems that are immune to that. You know, they hate seeing the fallenness of of the world. And and then there there come two camps. You know, one will say, well, yeah, Bitcoin does offer offer us these these this way out, and God has a heart for um, uh, the oppressed, right? Um, free the captive. You know, these all these commands to do mercy. Um, and do justice to the to the oppressed, all this sort of stuff, and you see Bitcoin as a tool for that, right? It's a tool for liberation, liberation of the captive, you know. Um, but then there are others that you hear from that might say, "Well, the world is not our home. Um, 
we just need to trust in Jesus more and that's all we need. And um, you can make arguments both ways. Like certainly, certainly it'll, it'll fix the condition of your heart if you trust in Jesus more, right? Um, but you'll still see injustice in the world and he has the solution for the hearts of those men too, doing injustice. But if you can, if you can snatch the, snatch the scepter out of the, the hand of the tyrant with technology, is that something God would want you to do? Right? Probably. Um, you know, so th this is maybe, maybe there's more, more to talk about of like Christians and civil disobedience, yeah. Christians and their relationship to the state, you know, around, around here where I'm from, there's a pretty strong, uh, pretty strong, well, if it's illegal, it's also sinful type yeah. idea. Right. And, uh, I reject that notion. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a long, long and storied history of civil disobedience among God's people, and uh, it goes it goes all the way back, to, you know, to the midwives in Egypt, right, yeah. um, and all the way through to Paul and Peter and Paul and company refusing to stop proclaiming the word and getting thrown in prison, you know, so. Um, that that's that's something that Christians are going to have to deal with uh, at some point. So one of my fears is that people they it's almost like the the ring, you know, the ring of mm -hmm. power and uh, Lord of the Rings. It's like, um, <clears throat> especially folks on the left, they they tend to hate big business or capitalism in general or or banking cartels and so on, so on and so forth, not realizing or ignoring the fact that the the people behind that that engine is the central banking and that's the government part so they really don't want to cut off the source of power the fact that the government has control of the money or in their minds maybe the people quote unquote having control of the money and that type of so they, they don't they typically i've i've seen some leftist bitcoiners i don't see all that many I, there are bitcoin socialists or bitcoin communists like I, i've seen plenty of those you know around on twitter people tend to be more libertarian-ish uh, in Bitcoin. But it seems like we're talking about, you know, Bitcoin as, an, as a tool for freedom and for liberty. I think it's important for us to recognize that that humans are, are fallible. So even if we did have sound money, I think it's going to eliminate the ability for governments to, to do lots of bad things right and not just our government but like lots of other governments i mean i i think that we as americans have, have the best one of them all um so i guess my question would be um what type of what type of good can bitcoin do for people outside the the monetary system aspect or like the, the central bank aspect of it. What, what types of things do you think that Bitcoin would promote generally in welfare and humanity outside central bank, you know, control? Right. I mean, if you've, if you haven't read the ethics of money production, it's yeah, definitely, definitely worth a read. And it talks about the corrupting nature of inflation and how inflation causes um, moral corruption. 
um, not only the corruption of capitalism, where the firms that choose to adulterate and dilute their products pass them off as the same thing as before, but it's cheaper. Those firms prosper compared to the firms that raise their prices to reflect honest cost of inputs. So you actually gain you actually gain market share if you break the rules of, of, of decency and honesty in an inflationary system. Um, so that kind of corrupts corrupts the very core of you know, capitalism and the market economy. On a personal level, if you're not a lot, if you're not able to save for the future and save for retirement, and you have to instead earn your money twice, you have to put it into the market to ga- essentially gamble the money you've already earned in order to just keep up with inflation, that causes you to pay more attention to your money. It causes this love of money to be more at the forefront of your life because you have to maintain your portfolio. You have to think about all this stuff. Um, from from the, the, ethical, the ethical side, you know, inflation is theft and it's theft on a colossal scale because you're stealing just a little bit of everyone's life, right? Um, yep. So the, the inflator, the person uh, doing the inflating with a group of people are, are committing a giant injustice against the rest of the population. Um, in the Bitcoin standard, he, Seyfedin has a, a excellent exposition of time preference and the idea that if you can, if you have sounder money, that depreciates in value over time, the time preference lengthens and a longer time preference means that people will think about the future a little bit more. So even on the margin, someone thinking about the future more than the present means they'll make better decisions, right? Like how am I going to feel tomorrow if I have the next drink now versus not caring about tomorrow, right? right? Just all those little, and everything happens on the margin, right? So even just tipping, just tipping the scale a little bit, even tipping the scale of how fast the government could grow or if it can grow at all. What, what would the world be like if the government were forced to shrink even by 1% per year, not grow, like shrink in real terms? Um, they would have to stop doing things, right? Something's forcing them to stop doing things. And then on the margin, that means that civil society will be more prosperous and able to meet meet each other's needs and things like that. So the, the time preference issue is is one that uh, really grabbed my attention uh, reading the Bitcoin Standard, which I have several copies of. I've met Safe several times. We've talked. Um, I have a signed copy of the Fiat Standard, which I really love. I I think I may actually enjoy that book even more, or or like I think it's like a new a new favorite for me. Um. But it's almost as if it's it's almost as if Christians have forgotten about the concept of long time preference or etern- eternal long term thinking, like not be not caring about what my situations and circumstances are right now, and and not being able to see through even after death, you know, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, like think not thinking about like the sin that's going to please me right this minute, right. but what but what, you know, crown of righteousness awaits me on the other side. And I, I think we have, we have lost, like even Christians have lost, like we don't really talk about that so much. And if we do, 
it's more like a, you know, tip your cap to it, you know, well, someday I got to make everything right. But in the meantime, life really sucks right now. It's everything's really hard. Um, I, it's almost as if Christians don't even believe in, in uh, low time preference. They're, they're high time preference Christians. Well, if you think about it, um, if, if you think of time preference as the reward I can get later if I sacrifice now, and when you stick an infinity in that reward slot, <laughs> right, yep. then that is what causes people to go through martyrdom, for instance, sure. be willing to undergo persecution and even death for the faith because you trust that you have an infinite eternal reward on the other side. And so maybe it's, maybe Christians don't quite believe that, you know, they don't quite believe that the reward is that strong um, in order to give up the, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Right. Yeah. Well, so, so that's, so there's the sin side, like giving up the, you know, like uh, Esau who sold his birthright Mm. for a single meal and, and uh, in the new Testament that's compared to, you know, sexual sin for instance. And then, Paul says that he, that the present troubles that he's experiencing in this life are not worthy to com- be compared to the glory which will be revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Right. So there's this, there's the there's the sin aspect of it, but there's also the um, the suffer the like the regular not my sin su- suffering. Like oh, I'm mad and, and angry and annoyed that I can't enjoy my sin that I really enjoy. But there's also like the you know, I don't want to give my extra time to the church. I don't want to be accused of being a weirdo or a crazy person. I don't want to live my life in a in a style and manner that is of service to other people and to God and to my family. Um, and the, the Christian life is one of service. It, it really, really is. And a beautiful parallel for me that I have found that in, and where I see Bitcoin and, and Christianity really aligning themselves is I've met so many Bitcoiners that have been willing to help me with things that I don't know for free. I, I have been welcomed into Bitcoiners home, like homes, meeting their families and wives and kids, like people I've never met in real life, but where we've known each other online for a long time and we have this common bond. And I feel it's, it's a bittersweet feeling for me because sometimes I feel like, man, this is what Christianity should be. <laughs> it should be it like, yeah. uh, you know, and I, and I have experienced that at some churches, you know, you, you go visit another church somewhere else. Somebody invites you over for uh, lunch after, after church or whatever. Um, and those types of things are great, but um, we can, I feel like Christians should be looking to, to, uh, to Bitcoin and Bitcoin should be looking to Christianity because I think there's some really strong overlaps there. I think that I think the what you're describing though is kind of the hallmark of say the early church where you have this fresh new group of people who have just learned you know the truth of salvation and they're kind of persecuted they're kind of on the outs from the main line of society and so they uh it's a small enough group that they do help each other and they know that, hey, this person's not going to get any help anywhere else. Um, so maybe, you know, Christianity certainly seems on the outs in America right now. Um, well, it's, it's supposed to be the dominant religion, you know, right. like the, the like 
the Judeo-Christian ethic right. is supposed to be permeating through, but it feels like from a Christian perspective, like it's not welcome at all. It, like, it feels like, it feels like, and that's it. It feels like the church has almost no um, say in any of the culture happening at all. It, it, it is, it is pretty, seems pretty bleak. Um, but you could say, well, that's just a call to Christians to recapture that feeling of the early church and say, well, um, maybe, maybe we need a, a little bit of persecution to kind of weed out the, the lightweights, you know, weed out the posers. And then you're just left with people that can withstand just a little bit. And now you have more likelihood of, um, uh, reaching out to the church for help, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen some videos of, of missionaries in foreign countries and uh, people underground churches and and uh, organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and, you know, things like that. And it's like there is the joy of the Lord on people's faces in dirt with rooms with dirt floors and huts. And they they you know, there's this one famous video from a few years ago where there's they're opening a box of Bibles. I don't know if you've seen this. This is probably 10, 15 years ago. I don't remember what it was. And the people are just like crying for joy and we just take that so right. granted right like i not only do i have a million apps on my phone i mean i've several copies just strewn about all over the place collecting dust and not being read because it's it's not there there isn't that that fire um and it it is it's an interesting phenomenon when you see somebody who's on fire for the Lord and you see somebody who's a new Christian, like they, they start talking about certain things and they want to dive deep into theology. Same thing with, with a Bitcoiner. I, I talked to a Christ, a new Christian Bitcoiner who was just orange pilled, you know, maybe 10 months ago, 11 months ago. And he was talking about like, how do I get into Bitcoin mining and starting a Bitcoin mining company? And it's like, you haven't even been through, <laughs> you haven't been through a year yet. And he's, he's all the way in. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating to see. I, I, it puts a smile on my face, but yeah, I, I think we, as we, as believers really need to, you know, allow, like, take a look at this, the snapshot of humanity of, of what's happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem and be like, okay, I, I remember something about this in, in the book of Acts and the New Testament about people loving each other and taking care of each other. And, and the real treasure is not the Bitcoin. You know, they say it's the friends you made along the mm-hmm. way, but the real treasure is not like Bitcoin will corrupt, you know, <clears throat> in some, someday, you know, in, in at the end of the age, there will be no more Bitcoin. Um, there will only be what has been accomplished on behalf of Christ and his kingdom. So, right. uh, yeah, we need to keep some, keep some focus longer term, longer, uh, time horizons and lower the lowest time pre- preference possible. Yeah. You know, and you can just have a, even a Michelin mindset within your own church. You know, if it's big enough that you have visitors coming in, go talk to them. Right. Um, it does, it does a huge, it does a huge amount of good to get people to come back. Right. Yeah. Just show a little bit of interest in them. You know, somebody coming through the front door, this might be the last time they give church a chance. Yep. You know, so just have that, just have that more intentional mindset, even of, of I'm not here on a Sunday morning to consume. This is not about me. 
and and even just that little bit of, of mindset can change things you know so uh, there are a lot of things to learn um, there are also parallels to the you know the altcoins and the scams and stuff and like the repentant the repentant altcoiner that comes back to the to the fold you know and is welcomed back in and like all these well, I started I started the first thing I ever owned was ethereum mm-hmm. and uh, and because I, I bought it because I thought, well, Bitcoin's too expensive. I can't get into that now. Right. So I bought Ethereum at like 12 bucks or 15 bucks. It was like, oh, man, this is going to go to, oh, it went to 40 bucks. I'm selling, man. Oh. Look, I made, you know, I made a few hundred bucks on Coinbase back when they only had like th- four coins or something. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but, but yeah, they're, they're, they're a bunch of parallels. But I, I, I like your call to, to service. So the Bitcoin community has been really good about that for me. Um, my church is, does a really good job at, at talking to new people. I think that that's just a good way to orient your life. The way you want to be, a, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be first in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a, a good Bitcoin citizen, a good leader in your community, learn to serve other people, mm-hmm. learn to reach out to them and help them along their journey. But even that, you know, that's the basis of success in a market economy. Right in voluntary in a system of voluntary exchange, the entrepreneurs and firms that serve their fellow man the best are rewarded. Who provide the most value to their fellow man yeah. are rewarded the best. You know, and so it's only in a corrupted, you know, crony system that the more well well connected politically are the ones who succeed the best. Succeed succeed the most. Even um, if you're incompetent, you can still get by if as long as you're well connected. Right. And so that's, you know, that's enabled by the corruption of the money as you can pay off, pay off your crony fins and they don't have, you don't have to provide value to anyone or expend any work to print the money. They don't have to provide value to society to, to keep getting paid. And so if you can even, even restoring that will restore that service aspect to the economy itself. Right. Now in America, we still have, you know, if you provide a business that provides lots of value to people, you can still do well. And I'm not saying we're totally corrupt, but um, there are a lot of big, well-connected players that just keep on, keep on trucking um, at the, yep. at the spigot of the money printer. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not just bank related. It's not banking services related. It's also medical related, um, <clears throat> lots of different types of products. Um, like, you know, beef, you know, for instance, like, uh, the, the agriculture, big ag, um, big ag, yeah. Uh, military industrial complex. Military industrial complex. Yeah. It, it's, it's all over the place. And, um, yeah, I, I like the idea of, of serving in a market economy when people do business with who they like, to be honest. And, and I've been finding that more and more, um, as I've gone further in my career, because if you could, you could be actually less of a value to somebody or maybe like a, a higher price. And if you're providing extra value to somebody or they, they like you or they feel like you're meeting their needs and you have their best interest at heart, they're willing to stay with you because they, they feel like they're, you're actually caring about them. And it, and it only works if you're really, if you're really doing it. And there's also, you'll, you'll hear from businesses about other entrepreneurs that, they're honest, right? Honesty is just huge when it comes to small local businesses. 
and everybody knows who's honest and everybody knows who's not. And that counts for something. And it should count for something all the way through the economy. But unfortunately, very large firms are, you know, oftentimes extremely disconnected from the consumer and from, you know, scrutiny on that level. Right. And in the Bitcoin economy, if a company goes off the rails into altcoins or if they go into some other type of, you know, scammy situation, they are lambasted on social media. Something happened today might not be timely by the time this this episode airs, but like this type of thing happens. When somebody goes off the rails of, off of Bitcoin or even if it starts to smell that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> people do not like that at all. Well, 20, 2022 is the great liquidation. Just huge amounts of, of excesses, lending, you know, poor um, due diligence, no due diligence and fraud and unsound business practices are just tanking a huge swath of, you know, the quote unquote crypto economy. Yeah. And you can't, you have no, you have no central banker to bail you out. So it's really, really healthy to have these massive liquidations because it means that the industry is, is getting cut down to a proper size. And What's interesting about the FTX thing specifically is that, okay, all these people say they lost, you know, $2 billion or however many billion, 40, I don't, I forget the number off the top of my head right now, but, um, the amount of billions of dollars were lost and they thought that they owned Bitcoin, but they owned an IOU that was, that was frittered away on leverage. But those people still want to own Bitcoin or they still want to own whatever asset they were trying to own in the first place. So after like they kind of get their wits about them again, it's like, okay, now where do I actually buy Bitcoin? And I, I can imagine a gigantic liquidity crunch or, you know, like where's the, who has all that Bitcoin? You know, obviously people have lost their money, but they're going to get back. Some of them are going to, you know, get washed out and they're going to say oh, this whole thing's a scam. Some people are going to want to buy back in to there, real Bitcoin. There's an extreme shortage of real Bitcoin. So it's just not priced in yet. I I, I, I think that's the case. And I it's like you can't really prove it. I mean, you have companies like, you know, PayPal offering Bitcoin. But if you can't withdraw it, then how would anybody ever know that they actually owned it? You have you have uh, terms of service Bitcoin. In terms of service, yeah, exactly. It's it's you have it's, IOU IOU Bitcoin, Bitcoin, which is what we have with uh, the Federal Reserve notes. But to my to my point earlier about the fiduciary media circulating, nobody nobody wants PayPal Bitcoin, right? Nobody says PayPal Bitcoin accepted here. You know, if that were the case, then we have problems where a merchant says, yeah, sure, you can just give me PayPal credit of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a, a claim. They're, they're trading claims on Bitcoin and not claims actual yeah. Bitcoin. And that's how you get into problems with fractional reserve, right? Yeah. yeah and that's that's um, the since. So one thing about Bitcoin, you know, it being quote unquote unregulated, which it's not unregulated, but a lot of exchanges are unregulated or at least like, I don't think that we're paying enough attention to the companies that are taking claims on Bitcoin, but will never withdraw their money. Like you can never, you can never actually withdraw. Like I think uh, um, Robinhood was like that for a while. I don't know if they changed that. PayPal, um, who else? Uh, uh, Fidelity, maybe. I, like, I doubt Fidelity. I doubt Fidelity. They're pretty good actors, I think. Okay. 
Um, it, it was some maybe I forget but the, yeah let's strike that from the record then but you know p- people who are, are taking the IOUs right. um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens yeah, as uh, uh, SBF said you know you see who's swimming naked when the tide <laughs> <laughs> the great philosopher um, I don't think he was the first one to say that though. yeah the I think that those the Robin Hood and the PayPal and those those Venmo maybe had it or something you know, those um, who are selling you essentially a claim on Bitcoin because the product at first is for gambling. It's just right. to gain exposure to the price action of Bitcoin and they'll right. they'll they'll pay you out in dollars. And they know that it's going to be a small enough chunk of their entire liabilities that they can they can just kind of do a bucket shop on you. Yep. Um, it's only it's only a problem if things really take off uh, where, you know, 50, 10, 20, 30% of the entire liabilities of the platform are now Bitcoin claims. Oops. Now you have to go acquire Bitcoin on the market when people actually want it to cash out, and, you know, to, to that, withdraw. That further, yeah. Right. That further runs up the price anyway. So, right. So you could delay, you could delay the appreciation by not actually making purchases of Bitcoin um, and, and actually requiring a purchase of Bitcoin you can delay the price appreciation, but eventually it all comes due. Either you have to go buy Bitcoin on the open market to make your liabilities whole, or someone has to get liquidated, right? Because you can't, because you can't, you can't just print it. You got to pay the piper sometime. Yeah. So, well, Clark, I think this was really, really insightful for me. It's really helpful, especially with somebody who's like minded. Um, I've really appreciated your, your tweets over the time, over time, your dashboard, like I mentioned was, uh, I, I love it. I've sent people to it. Uh, I just, once in a while I'll pull it up and I'll just, just stare at it. If I need to feel good, like it's still every 10 minutes, look at it. There Next it is block, just flashing, TikTok. flashing along. Yep. It's great. Well, um, is there anything you want to, you're working on that you want to shill? Are you, uh, involved in anything that people should know about? Uh, recently put together a BIP with a friend called BIP351 Private Payments. You know, it's a payment code on-chain stealth address system. We've kind of been working on that on the side. Always working on the dashboard under the hood. Um, but yeah, find me on Twitter and we'll see you out there. Well, thank you again. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. I hope you've uh, enjoyed this episode. Uh, let me know. And until next time, keep the faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Over Fiat podcast. Your access to Bitcoiner testimonies of how faith influences their belief in the best money ever created.